In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As this is my first ever Sunday preaching at Church of Our Savior, I don't expect any of you to know me. My name is Carol Luther. I am an old friend of Richard's and I am the chaplain at St. Paul's Episcopal School in Oakland. And I have to say, when handed a set of readings like we heard today, and coming into a congregation where I know nobody, I felt a little bit like St. Teresa of Avila when her mule threw her and deposited her into a mud puddle, and she looked up to God and said, If this is how you treat your friends, God, no wonder you have so few of them. (laughs) However, as a school chaplain and spiritual educator, I do have a passion for wisdom. And I suspect that wisdom is what underlies these very difficult-seeming texts. Although wisdom is often seen as synonymous with intelligence and education, it isn't. It is possible to be incredibly educated without being at all wise. A good education can be acquired. Wisdom, on the other hand, is given. We are all born with a great deal of it. And I know that every one of you has heard very wise words uttered through the mouths of babes. Most of us, myself included, lose it entirely during our productive years when the cares of the world take us over. But very often, wisdom returns as we get old. After we've been around the block a few times, and are less intimidated by a world that in our youth seemed so imposing. This world has always been a problem. The human brain has an amazing ability to construct its own realities. We do it in the same way that we construct tools and construct language. We are natural storytellers. We see patterns. We react to fear and desire. We connect dots and we jump to very convincing conclusions. We discover that we can lie. We talk about real life as if our peculiar culture of stress were divinely ordained. We might wish to improve it or if we are able to change our position in it, but rarely does it occur to us that all that, too, might be just one more arbitrary construction. Jesus came to earth to show us just how far our human culture of fear and desire had wandered from God's wisdom and God's love. That teaching is no easy task. In cultures whose power rests upon conquest, which is to say most of Western history, suffering and servanthood, the themes of today's readings 
are seen as nothing but the marks of failure. When Jesus says, no, suffering and servanthood are part of the practice of truth, it is very hard to really believe him. The disconnect between the world and the Christ, if we can stick with it and really think about it, is a staggering disconnect. We all know that suffering hurts. Although all of us know that some suffering comes with the territory. All of us, for example, have been sick or injured. Suffering is not something that a healthy person, in our view, would ever embrace. Servanthood may be not quite as unpopular as suffering, but it still raises a lot of ambivalent responses in my church women's group. Servanthood is a good thing in the case of community service or philanthropy, which is a gift of service. But when service is imposed upon me by others more powerful than I am, it becomes abject servitude, and that is not a good thing at all. We have seen the ravages of slavery. We have seen the ravages of war. Slavery and war are what the culture of power uses it to lord itself over us and scare us into compliance. Obey, and you will be spared suffering. You will be given influence, pleasure, and ease. Being human, as one of my favorite TV characters once said, is a complicated gig. If it weren't, we would not need God. The disciples gave themselves to Jesus because he promised to save them. And just before the conversation in today's gospel, he has told his disciples for the third time that he will be handed over to suffering and death. This doesn't feel like hope. This feels like same old, same old Rome. I ask you, can any of us really trust the promise of resurrection in the face of the overwhelming reality of death? That is the very human anxiety that I think James and John are feeling along the road. They want to know that the sacrifices they have made have not been in vain. They only wish to be successful. That's all. And then Jesus says, you do not know what you are asking. But they do know what they are asking. They want to be with Jesus in his glory. They want a happy ending. What could be clearer than that? And Jesus asks, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. What an enigmatic answer. A yes that is also a no. What does Jesus mean, those for whom it has been prepared? Is he hiding something? Or have we entered a divine 
mystery. One of the very interesting challenges in our whole climate change dilemma, and likewise in our species quest to evolve from being a series of rival nation states to becoming a planet, is that as much as we want to do it, we human beings have a very hard time thinking anything but locally. If we notice a litter problem in Mill Valley, for example, or think that our schools are underfunded, it is relatively easy to raise a committee, start a collection, invite everyone out for a cleanup day, which is wonderful, healthy service. But when the problem is melting in the Arctic, or desertification in Africa, or a free market system that works wonderfully in San Francisco and in Manhattan, but impoverishes a farmer in Kenya, it is much harder to know just how to respond. Statistics on a world map just don't have the same immediacy as garbage on Throckmorton Avenue. Even travel, even the opportunity of meeting other cultures face to face can be illusory because all of us on both sides come to the table with very ingrained ideas of what the real world is and are just as likely to miss each other's cues as to catch them. I know this very well. I work in a school in Oakland that seeks to be as diverse as possible. And even when we love each other deeply and are engaged in a common mission, we manage to be staggeringly different. In fact, we can be so different sometimes that it takes my breath away. And it's then that I realize that though I may know very, very much, there is a great deal more that I don't know at all. Thus, it is not in the glory of my intelligence, but in the suffering of my ignorance, that I find God. God, you see, is all that I am not. God is the whole of which I am but the smallest part the butterfly in the Sahara, the hurricane in Florida, the maize farmer in Kenya, the Athabascan in Arctic Village, the financier at One Market Plaza, the raccoon in the culvert, the ducks on Lake Merritt, the yamas in the Andes. I can never know this beautiful interconnected wholeness. I can only love it and serve it. I can only play my own part with integrity, and that involves listening and serving. The moment I start lording it over others and thinking that I know the right answer, I risk upsetting this delicate balance. Power is not telling other people what to do. It is the ability to participate fully with them. It is seeing others as children of God. So when Jesus is handed over to suffering and death, by the standards of the real world, he has lost. He is the lowest of the low. But what Jesus teaches by his suffering, death, and resurrection is that he has not lost because the ability to inflict suffering and death is not powerful. It is just bullying, fearful and unpleasant. It is the desperate act of fearful men 
who believe they can use death as a weapon. Jesus says you can't, because death is only a transition, not an end. For a God of love, even even suffering and death can be transformed into love. I know this because I have been with people as they have gone through the passage of death, and I have seen them transform, and I have felt myself transform. Nothing is ever lost. Even the darkest grief is not so much about losing as it is about finding. So it's important just to listen. Jesus didn't condemn James and John for wanting glory any more than he despaired last week of the rich young man and his possessions. Jesus teaches, Jesus waits, Jesus loves. He knows who we really are, even when we don't. And suffering, suffering is like the weather. It's part of the cosmic balance, just as rain and wind are a part. But it is not everything. It is neither to be embraced nor be avoided. Really, as a faith community in which I served taught me, there is only one thing we need to remember, and that is love. God is love. Practice love. Practice love on good days. Practice love on bad days. Practice love in the heart of suffering. Know that everything we are and everything we do matters in this great interconnected web of life. Practice a little compassion every day. In this way, we may at last be able to glimpse that tantalizing thing that Richard promised us last week. A love impossible for us is possible for God. Love, and the rest will follow, no matter how impossible it may sound. I promise you, in Jesus' name, that this is true. Amen. Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.